The scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, as we start this morning, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do two things that I would never advise uh, pastors to do. First one is this. I'm going to preach with a cough drop in my mouth, so that could be an adventure. Second thing is I'm going to get away from the text, which is Galatians. I'm going to take you uh, many hundreds of miles away from Galatia this morning. And I'm going to take you to another part of Asia Minor, what today we'd call uh, Turkey, along the Aegean Sea. It is a place that I visited first in 2002 with uh, Ray Vanderland and then visited again in 2008. And on the second trip, it really made an impression on me because Priene is really one of the significant cities of uh, Turkey. Not as significant, say, as Ephesus or Sardis, but it's a town in that day in the first century of about 50,000 people. It is home to a temple to the goddess Athena. It is one of the real marvels of the ancient world. It's two-thirds the size of the Parthenon and every bit as uh, uh, intricate and exquisite. But the interesting thing about this temple is it's not just it's a wonderful building, but the things that happened out of this temple were really interesting. Uh, Any person who was traveling uh, could stop at the temple and get free water free food. Anybody in the community could go to the temple and get free medical care. Uh, You could also get child care, drop your child off for the day, and get this. Back in the first century, you could even take your parents and drop them for the day. It had pioneered senior adult day care. Uh, It had an amazing array of programs uh, to fit the needs of the community. And when Ray Vanderland is talking about this, he said the reason basically it goes this way is because in the ancient world, most of the time, gods and goddesses were evaluated by their temple. Tell me about your god, and my response is, let me see his temple. Let me see your temple. So you go to a massive temple with these massive uh, programs of, of uh, handouts and, and community um, service and relief. But what's interesting is when you leave that temple and you go down the hill, across the way, and you, you come to the, um, to the town of Priene, and you walk down an ancient street, a main street. And you walk into a ruin of a house. Now, what's interesting about this house is that all the houses on the street, the entrance is from what we might call the back alley. It's, it's, it's a back entrance. But this one house apparently got a variance, and they were allowed to have an entrance right off the main street. So you could come off the main street and go into the house. So archaeologists wondered what in the world that was about. And then as they continued their work, two things they noticed. They noticed a particular closet set in a certain direction. They noticed a bench set um, in a certain relation uh, to that closet. And they realized what they found was an ancient synagogue, a Torah closet to keep the word of God, and then a bench or a seat from which the, the teacher would lead called the Moses seat. And then to confirm, not too long later, they found a menorah carved in that little house. And so you juxtapose this little house with the big Athena temple. But what's even more interesting is when we were there in 2008, the archaeologists were not ready uh, to publish this, but it was their hypothesis from something else they discovered in the house 
that this little tiny house synagogue became over time, by the end of the first century, a tiny little house church. And if you know much about the letters of Paul, you recognize that this is kind of one of those places uh, typical of where Paul was writing. Paul would write house churches, Christians that would gather in the living room to worship God. But here's what's even more interesting than that. This small house church in Priene, like other house churches across uh, Asia Minor, had such an effect that within 125 years of the coming of Christianity, places like Priene moved from being 95% pagan to 95% Christian. It is amazing. David Bentley Hart, who uh, teaches mainly at Providence, but has also spent some time at Duke, wrote a book a couple years ago called Atheist Delusions. And, and he was debunking some of the myths that atheists like, like to make about Christianity. It's an effect on the world. And he's talking about this movement of Asia Minor moving from totally pagan to totally Christian. And he called it the most impressive movement in the history of the Western world. And then he's got a sentence that I think is so profound that I wrote it down because I want to get it right for you. This is from uh, philosopher David Bentley Hart. He says this, I am convinced that given how radically at variance Christianity was with the culture, it slowly and relentlessly displaced. Its eventual victory was an event of such improbability as to strain the very limits of our understanding of historical causality. In other words, it just blows the mind of cause and effect how this could work. Well, since he can't give you an explanation, I thought I would try this morning. How do you explain the improbable? Well, here's what we do know. I think we have a pretty clear, a clear idea of what they did not do in pre a This is what didn't work because they didn't do it. First thing is, in Priene, as far as we know, tradition and the scripture don't record any great pastors, any great preachers passing through. No Paul. John is up the road at Ephesus, but John, as far as we know, uh, doesn't come here and conduct um, meetings or revivals. No great preaching. No large facility. The first large Christian facilities aren't built to about the 4th century, about the time Christianity starts to begin its decline, but we can talk more about that later. Um, so no preaching, no large facility, no great programs. They, they didn't have the kind of money to throw a, a big social relief effort or to provide child care or, um, or adult daycare. They didn't have that. No political power. In fact, if you were a Christian or a Jew in, in Asia Minor, you, were, um, uh, you had no economic power because you weren't allowed to go trade and do business. You couldn't sell your wares in the Agora. You couldn't buy it in the Agora, in the marketplace, and you did not, you were uh, disenfranchised, you couldn't vote because you were considered a pagan because you didn't worship Athena. So without political or economic power, they went forward. And you might say, well, yeah, but they had the message of heaven and, and eternal life. Yes, they did, but so did everybody else. Every ancient religion promised you the key to the gates of heaven in their own way. So the, the, all these things fail to explain what happened in this community and hundreds of other communities like it in the ancient world in what we call Turkey today. Uh, but what's fascinating to me before I get to what I think worked is to tell you that when I look at 21st century American Protestantism, we do the same things as the Athena Temple. 
we try to bring in the great preacher into the football stadium? Or we try to have uh, stories told of the most famous recent conversion to our faith? We build the large facilities with programs to go with it. I mean, many churches now are built where you can have a school attached to it or a gym. But even uh, larger churches now have food courts, athletic fields, just one-stop service and shopping for people. Uh, We go the economic route. If we don't like a movie and what it's espousing, we tell our people, well, boycott. And we try the economic power. Uh, political power. Every four years, people try to convince us that, that uh, our, our country and our way of life is going to pot if we don't elect these, these particular Christian people. We try the very things that didn't work for the Athena temple, but we pull them back out 2,000 years later and we give it a go. And the message of salvation in heaven I mean, how many times have you run into somebody in your life who asked you this question? Well, if you died tonight, where would you go? It didn't work and the, for the Athena temple. And I want to tell you nicely and humbly, because I'm a part of it, it's not working today. Statistics going back to 1946 uh, uh, to 48 and the kind of beginning and formation of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And I don't need to establish my credentials with you. I worked the Billy Graham crusade in San Antonio. I love Billy Graham. I think he's wonderful. But I want to tell you, all the crusades in America... All the church buildings and gyms, all the billions of dollars spent on facilities, pastor salaries and programs, and the percentage of people in America who claim a relationship with Jesus Christ is not one, not one percentage point higher, billions of dollars later than in 1948. Didn't work for Athena, it's not working for us today. Which raises the question, what works? How does Christianity go on the rise? Well, and how did it work in pre-NA? The short answer is, I'm not really sure. But I do have a guess. My guess is that in this tiny house church, as in so many tiny house churches, people in the community saw them live in such a way, loving God, loving each other, and loving even those who opposed them. They saw this life in such a way that it became attractive. And they thought, well, I want that more than I want daycare. I want that more than I want the free education. I want to be a part of a group that goes like that. They saw the love of God and the love of neighbor enacted. I I wasn't there, but here's my sense. I think they looked at these pre-NA Christians and they saw such freedom in their life that it was irresistible. First of all, they had to be clearly free of fear. Because they could be arrested for their beliefs, and in parts of Asia Minor, and later on in Priene, they could be executed for those beliefs. Probably at the time of Paul, it was just economic sanctions, and they weren't yet killing uh, people who believed in Jesus. But that would come within about 30 years. So at some point in Priene, they, they look at people who aren't afraid to be excommunicated from the city. Not be afraid to be cut off from political power, uh, uh, food networks. And, and, uh, and the whole system of, uh, of bartering and trading, they weren't afraid to lose that. Weren't afraid to lose their life. They saw people just living fearlessly, free of fear. They saw people who lived free of the social conventions. You probably know this about Roman society. It was extremely stratified. 
And it was all based on class, which was all based on money. In fact, you know, from Roman senators on down, your office was and your title was by how much money you had. So senators had X amount of, of, of money. Equestrians had the next amount of money. And it worked its way down. And your title and position kept you away from other people. And here in the little house church... We know from historical uh, letters and, and writings in the house church, the rich would wash the free feet of the poor and they'd all sit at the same table and eat. I heard an interesting observation about, um, about the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. A person's name always comes before their title. So they never say in Hebrew, King David. It starts David and then Malach, the king. And And it's the reminder to us that it's not the position and title. It's the individual dignity and worth of each person that Judaism lifts it up. And Jesus carried that to the cross. Dying for the worth and the dignity and the freedom of every person. And I think the community exhibited that kind of freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from the social restrictions. And I believe freedom from worry. I mean, it's amazing they couldn't vote. They couldn't sell their wares. They couldn't buy other people's wares, and yet they didn't convert to paganism. They seemed to live just like the Sermon on the Mount, one day at a time, trusting in the grace of God through each other. And I know that kind of freedom had to amaze the people who watched them live, amaze them in such a way that over a period of 125 years, the vast majority came over to their way of seeing the world. I believe the world's looking today as well for a way of life that's free, for a way of life that seems to make a difference, for a way of life that seems to have some purpose bigger than itself. And I believe when we live as disciples, we live free lives, and we show people that alternate story, more attractive than the handouts and the programs and the buildings that are offered in other places. I believe... Truly, that if we walk through what we've identified as six characteristics of a disciple, a life of worshiping God, not just on the weekend, but worshiping with our life, a life of, um, of, of being guided and empowered through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and one of the major ways that happens is through prayer. I think when we live as sons and daughters who don't have to prove anything to anybody, but know that we're already loved and accepted, when we live in community, the kind of community that people in Perene had to live in because the larger community rejected them, when we live uh, lives uh, of, of um, what we call ancient paths or the text, lives that are centered around the scriptures and the ways of uh, living out the scriptures that came before us, and when we live lives of service to the world, I think you do these six things, I think you begin to experience freedom. And then I want to pass on a brief commercial. Not, some of you um, may notice, um, at least a few of you have, that you said, Dave, you say, like, Dave, in the last year and a half, I just noticed some sort of change in you, a more willingness to be vulnerable, a more willingness um, to be hugged. And I look at Donna. A willingness to risk, a willingness to tell the truth about who you are and where you are. And I want to tell you, that I'm experiencing a kind of freedom, I'm not totally in it, that I've not experienced in all my years up to now. 
And I want to tell you, one of the tools that the Holy Spirit has used to to move me closer in this direction is something known as faith walking that I've been in for a couple of years now. And I say that because Dinah and I are uh, hosting an introductory weekend called 101 to Faith Walking at Dinah's house, April 11th and 12th. And and, uh, we're going to do it for 18 people. And uh, you can see how to sign up in in the bulletin. I think it's worth your time and energy. But I think if we focus on the six things I think God has given us, I think we will begin to be more free. And I not only think we'll be more free, but this is what I love, and, and I know they noticed about Priene, they extended freedom to others. While the people in Priene were trying to coerce the Christians into being and acting like pagans, the people of the Christians of Priene were extending the freedom to live like pagans to the pagans if that's what they wanted. And they didn't criticize their way of life by their words. They just lived a higher standard of life that called the people who were pagans into examining their own life. Freedom is not just what we do for ourselves, but it is what we extend to others, especially those who oppose us or who might ridicule us or criticize us. And the world is watching and looking for a way of life that makes sense. I read um, and, and heard last week a Jewish leader Um, addressing uh, a group of Jews. And as you know, Jews are definitely a distinct minority in our world today, uh, just as Christians were in the minority in Priene in the first century. And this is what he said to them. I thought it was fascinating. He said, each of you, your individual life is a letter, like A or B or C or D. And in your family, your family life is a word. And the families in your community, as they come together, form a sentence. And then your larger communities, as they gather together, form a paragraph that the world can read about the story of God in your life and in our world. The world is looking around to see and find a better story. And I believe that when they look at our lives, they will see and read clearly this word. And that word is freedom.